Hello, my name is Ben, and I am your host of the Too Vague Podcast this week. The final day three of PAX wrap-up is going to be wrapped up (laughs) at the end of this episode. Let's start by giving you the Podcast in a Bag theme song. Ben was on the road making content for you with his podcast in a bag. Seattle. The final day that I spent at PAX, day three, started with yet another boring breakfast. I had coffee and a banana. When I got to the show, I first stopped at a Japanese independent game publisher, Phoenix Incorporated, who had a number of games that they were showing. I selected three of them, spent a little bit of time with each. I met with the VP of the promotions department, Azusa Kawamura. The first one I took a look at was Trinity S, which is currently in early access on Steam. It's developed by a company called Indie Us, I-N-D-I-E hyphen U-S, Indie Us Games. Azusa said that she tried playing it and it was almost too difficult for her. It's a series of boss fights, so you have three different characters, and you can pick one of them to actually play, but the other two are AI-controlled. It's sort of set up like a bullet hell kind of shooter, where you have to avoid the different enemies and the patterns of bullets, but you also have your powers that are happening automatically. So basically, you are pretty much dodging the entire time. All attacks are automatic, but the special attacks buttons are controlled. And depending on which character, their buffs occur within a certain proximity of the other character. I don't know how each character is going to grow and how their powers are going to change as it goes on. But the graphics kind of reminded me of those Nexon games of the early 2010s like Dungeon Fighter Online, Dragon Nest, Vindictus, but really simplified, doesn't really fit into a pay-to-win sort of model like those games were designed for, but it does feel sort of like those games just a little bit. It's generally not my kind of game, but I do understand its appeal. A bunch of boss fights, they got to figure out the patterns and get to them. So like I said, it's sort of a variation of a of a shoot 'em up but with characters that are traditional fantasy characters. From the Steam page, here is the entry on Trinity S. Trinity S condenses the thrilling elements of MMO RPG endgame encounters into a white knuckle boss rush cooperative online action game for up to three players. Skip the MMO level grind and face off against fearsome foes that require precise coordination to defeat. I don't think Azusa mentioned that there was the option for having three people playing simultaneously, but apparently you can. You can coordinate together. The next game I saw, which I was really excited about for some reason, was called Sky the Scraper. It's scheduled to be released sometime in 2024. Developed by Ryo Kabuchi. It looks very simple at first because it's the side of a building, 
But there is sort of a gameplay depth to it when you start playing. Looks very simple at first glance, though. You are playing the role of a window washer, appropriately named Sky, and you are swinging across the face of the dirty building and cleaning as much dirt as you can within 60 seconds. You try and clean as much of the building as possible. The more you do that, the more money you get. And you can use that money to upgrade your various powers and abilities. Your first set of missions, at least for the first week of the game, quote unquote, is to make enough money to pay your rent and not get kicked out of your apartment. But there are little minor story elements and things that harken back to your relationship building games, like you're having conversations with people, but I don't know how much that the conversations will impact your gameplay or the story. In between these buildings that you clean, you get like a little calendar that shows you for each week when you have days off and when you have cleanings. On your days off, you can choose one of three activities to improve your character's mood and stats. Like I said, these types of game mechanics do remind me of the Persona series of games, which I mentioned previously. The graphics have sort of a 16-bit kind of appearance. And when I first saw the game, I immediately thought of a very old 1980s game called Crazy Climber, but I'll get into that afterwards. One of the things that you see in the game are balloons floating, and that is sort of an homage, or it feels like an homage to Crazy Climber because they were balloons that would carry you above additional levels. So in Crazy Climber, they were called Lucky Balloons. From the Steam page, here is the description for Sky the Scraper. This is a building-cleaning roguelike action game about a young man named Sky who chases uncertain dreams as a building cleaner. Conquer thrilling, randomly changing high-rise stages, upgrade skills and gear with your money and will, and find your path within a two-month limit. These are very concise descriptions on these games published by Phoenix. The third game, Aziza showed me, was a game called Never Awake. It is developed by a company called Neotro Incorporated. It originally released in September 2022 on Steam, but I believe they were showing it because it released early this year on consoles. It's a very cool sort of twin stick shoot 'em up where one controls your character and then the other one controls where you're shooting your gun in 360 degrees. Looks gorgeous, almost like hand-painted like those games I like from Vanillaware, where the backgrounds almost look like they're animated cartoons more than they're pixelated sort of things. But anyway, Never Awake, it features gorgeous hand-painted environments and characters. You play as a girl... I mean, I think it's yourself, but you play as a girl inside a girl in a hospital bed who's on life support, and apparently she is overcoming her fears uh, with each of the set of levels. There's a boss at the end that represents a different fear of that girl. Rem is the character that you play. Once you overcome those fears, apparently you will wake up. Level clearing is different from most shooters because 
your enemies, leave behind fragments that you have to collect. You've got a percentage that you have to go through for each level. Each set of levels is represented by a piece of jewelry worn by the girl in the hospital bed. And when each of the sub-levels are complete, you get the boss fight at the end of each piece of jewelry, I guess. If you're a fan of shooters, bullet hell style shooters, shoot 'em ups, definitely check this out. And here is the description from the Steam page. A girl who never wakes up. She has been fighting monsters in her dreams. Never Awake is a nightmarish twin-stick shooter with a unique worldview and original game rules. The girl fights against vegetables, dogs, school friends, and other things she hates. What does the girl see at the end of the battle? And will she be able to wake up? It says in the same description, I believe it says about Never Awake. Never Awake has a unique worldview with its high quality hand-drawn graphics and beautiful animations. The enemies are not demons, but vegetables, dentists, and other things the girl hates. Things and creatures that everyone has a bad experience with at one time of their life or another become monsters and attack the protagonist Rem, which I'm guessing is Rem Sleep. With over 80 levels, dozens of bosses, and a unique gameplay system that allows a player to retry many levels, Never Awake is suitable for both beginner shooter and expert shooter players. Combine a multitude of weapons and accessories to fight off the monsters in your nightmares. The ending of this title will change depending on your player's dedication. Please play and see what the girl sees at the end of the battle. Okay, well there you go. Something I touched on about that Sky the Scraper game The game Crazy Climber was a vertically scrolling arcade game in 1980 designed by Shigeki Fujiwara and produced by Nichibutsu. In North America, the game was released by Taito of America. The goal of the game is to, you're basically climbing the side of a building. It's not like you're cleaning or anything like you are in Sky the Scraper. You scale a series of skyscrapers using two joysticks, one controlling the left side of your body and the other controlling the right side of your body. It is cited as the first in the quote-unquote climbing genre of games, which eventually became better known as platform games, even though there was no jumping or anything, but there was traversal on a building surface. Crazy Climber was the third highest earning arcade game in 1980 in Japan behind Pac-Man and Galaxian. So it was really big in Japan. Although I don't think that many people heard about it here. I didn't see it in my arcade, but I did play it at other places. So crazy climber. So the next game I saw was a game called Extremely Powerful Capybaras. And the studio is Studio Bravada, a um, Brazilian studio. I spoke to the marketing and production coordinator for PM Studios, which is the company that is is publishing it. Creason Martin, he watched me play in the private room, which was kind of cool because there was no extraneous noise and such. We had a little conversation as I was playing the game. I enjoyed this game so much that 
I initially signed up to see multiple games, but I spent the entire time, my whole allotted 30 minutes, just playing this game. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it a lot. Your character is automatically shooting, and depending on which weapons that you have, the bullet patterns are different in your shooting. But you basically dodge enemies and bullets and shoot at enemies. The cartoon-like design of the characters is super-duper cute. So it's not like a a pixelated sort of Castlevania-looking environment like Vampire Survivor is. Creason was telling me, we had kind of a casual conversation about this, but he said that they've been showing the game all over, and they've developed, based on player feedback, a multiplayer mode so multiple people can play it simultaneously. So that's cool. But I don't know if it's still in development or how the development is going on that. I haven't played it with anyone. I just played it solo. Each level you advance, you can level up various shots or various powers, very similar to Vampire Survivor. Creason initially in our communications said that there was a possibility to get an interview with one of the designers, which I was hoping to do, but apparently he had left the booth temporarily, so I didn't get a chance to talk with him. Uh, He's a Brazilian designer, and we had sort of a talk about it, and he said that it would be interesting to find out what he would have said, because it might have been a Portuguese word. Hopefully, Creason will be able to connect me with the designer, and maybe we can have an interview or something where he comes on Here is the description from the Studio Bravada and Extremely Powerful Capybara's press kit. Become the bullet hell as a capybara in this roguelite adventure. Brave the chaos solo or with up to four friends. Forge your path through hordes of enemies. Gather capy-powering weapons and skills and embrace your inner capybara in this action-packed bullet heaven frenzy. I see what they did there. Choose from a selection of quirky capybara warriors, each with their own starting weapon. Fight on your own or with friends online and local co-op. So that's your; those are your options for the four players. Experiment with different builds by collecting items that unlock weapons and skills. Make sacrifices to resurrect fallen friends. Chill in hot water like a true capybara before each run starts. That is extremely powerful capybaras. Thank you, Creason, for showing me that. Hopefully we can get you on the show or someone involved with Studio Bravada. That would be amazing. So here is a list, for those of you who don't know, capybara facts. The capybara, or greater capybara, of the Cavidi or Cavi family In South America, it's the largest living rodent. Its close relatives include the guinea pig or the rock cavy. The capybara inhabits savannas and dense forests and lives near bodies of water, usually in groups of 10 to 20 individuals. Adult capybaras grow up to about 4 feet 3 inches in length, are about 2 feet tall from their feet to their back and weigh anywhere from 77 to 146 pounds. The females are slightly heavier than the males. The top recorded weight 
is 201 pounds for a wild female from Brazil and 126 pounds for a wild male from Uruguay. Here's a fun fact. In the U.S., it is illegal to own a capybara in Alaska, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Georgia, Illinois, Massachusetts, New York, Oregon, and Vermont. But I guess it's legal all the other states. Interesting. Then I moved on to a game called Starvaders. The demo is out now, but a full version is targeted for sometime later this year by Starvader Studios, which consists of a trio of friends. The designer, Eddie Kai, also known as, I guess, their screen name, Axolotl. The programmer is Hassan Liu, and the art director is Jinfan Zhou, I think. I spoke with Eddie, the designer, He was really cool, very excited about his game, and the graphics looked amazing. Once again, cartoon-style graphics. One of the questions I asked other game designers at the show is if they used like physical mock-ups when they were designing or conceptualizing their games. One of the games that I did that for was Animal Country that I saw on day one. Eddie said that, yeah, he did make a physical version to kind of flesh out the rules and the complexity of the game, which was really interesting, which is what I think you would do with some of these game mechanics. I think some of them lend themselves really well to physical testing. When they created their game, they came up with a demo, which they put on itch.io. Someone saw it, and based on that alone, they got funding for a larger, more comprehensive game. So here's the game, as far as I see it, in turn-based fashion, you play your cards. There are shot cards and movement cards, and each one of those moves generates heat, and there are consequences for going over with your heat. As your enemy attacks, they move down sort of a rectangular grid in sort of a space invader fashion. Your job is to keep them from landing at the bottom while you're avoiding taking excessive damage. I didn't mention to Eddie that I remember when Space Invaders came out in the arcade because I was so drawn to how fun and easy to learn this gameplay was. It was pretty addictive and there was a lot of complexity even in just the single playthrough that I had. We played through a couple of levels and he guided me through some of the strategies to keep in mind. I had a blast, uh, literally had a blast. in the game, of course. This game was one of the surprises of the show. I was really expecting something that was kind of generic and formulaic, but man, it was really cool. And I'm really interested in seeing the final product. It's amazingly crafted. And Eddie definitely shows that he's passionate about it in the way that he was showing me and explaining it to me. And I really hope Eddie and possibly members of his development team be on the show at some point. Thank you so much, Eddie, for showing me your game. It is amazing, and I can't wait to see the finished product. From the Starvators press kit, here is the description. A mecha roguelike deck-building tactical shoot-em-up, where you upgrade your deck with impactful cards and master the quick and crunchy grid tactics to save the future of humanity 
exclamation point. Starvaders is a turn-based strategy game in which you pilot a mecha armor to fight swarms of alien invaders in a roguelite campaign grid-based tactical card battle. Key points, quick and crunchy. With winning runs that average out just under an hour long, there's no wasted time in this game. There's no stalling. Every action in combat moves you towards a win or a loss state. Effects are snappy and responsive. Animations are quick and clear. You can tell that respect for the player's time is one of the game's core design principles. Intuitive tactics. No need for hard calculations to find lethal anyone. This game moves all that complexity into spatial understanding with an extensive preview system and ability to rewind time. Your tactical decisions take the forefront of battle. Every single card is special. No picking up boring cards that are just slightly higher numbers. Because there are barely any numbers in our game, every card, every upgrade, and every artifact you gain have truly unique and impactful abilities. Rewind anything. Use your chrono tokens to rewind your turn, re-roll your rewards, restock the shop, or even re-roll which boss you encounter. Would you want to keep your tokens to focus on building synergies or save them to survive difficult encounters? So that was Starvaders. A lot of fun. Thank you so much, Eddie, for showing me this game and talking to me a little bit. And please be on the show. Eddie's nickname and or their handle is Axolotl. And for those of you who don't know, it's another animal fact. We had the capybara first, and now we have the axolotl. The axolotl is a pedomorphic salamander, which means it reaches adulthood without undergoing its metamorphosis. Full-grown axolotls remain aquatic and gilled, whereas land salamanders are born with the gills but lose them as they grow lungs and become terrestrial. As of 2020, the axolotl is near extinction due to urbanization and waste pollution in Mexico City, as well as the introduction of invasive species such as tilapia and perch. The axolotl is carnivorous with a diet consisting of worms, insects, other arthropods, and small fish. Adult axolotls between 18 and 27 months range a length of approximately 6 to 12 inches. They've got a very unique looking well, face, for the lack of a better word. There are three pairs of external gill stalks behind their head, which they use to move oxygenated water. Axolotls locate their food by sense of smell and will suck their prey into their stomachs with vacuum force. The species is named after the dog-headed Aztec god of fire, death, and lightning, Shotl, who transformed himself into an axolotl to avoid being sacrificed by his fellow gods. That's kind of a good trifecta to be the god of fire, death, and lightning. The next game that I saw, which was also a really cool surprise, it's really tough to pick which one of these was my favorite of the day. Starvaders was such a surprise, and Big Boy Boxing looks amazing too. 
Big Boy Boxing is a game by Soup Masters. The demo is now available on Steam. They're expecting a full release sometime in 2024. I met Ludwig Thelbergand and Martin Callender, both from Gothenburg, Sweden, and the founder of their company, Soup Masters. I approached the booth and Ludwig was like, hey, you want to play? And I was like, well, I'm here for an interview. Actually, they had this really cool sort of booth where it looked like a boxing ring. You could go into the center of the ring to play against the different characters, uh, sort of in a punch-out kind of style. And then Martin was the gentleman I talked to. Martin is one of the designers. It's not a punch-out clone, but it's more like a love letter to that series of games that Martin enjoyed as a child. It has a very unique style. You have a character that you play in the story, and as you play that character and learn their story, you also learn the stories and histories of your opponents, which is different than Punch-Out. Many of the characters of the game were originally developed for a Super Smash Brothers style game that didn't quite work out the way Ludwig and Martin thought it would. So they came up with this idea for sort of a spiritual successor to Punch-Out by Nintendo. I think Martin was more the fan of Punch-Out and they decided they would repurpose these characters. Their game is also different than Punch-Out because you have choices as far as your character's boxing powers and stats. So you'll have to use strategy to defeat certain boxers by choosing certain powers, or it'll make it easier if you choose certain powers over others. And the story is you are being trained by an ex-fighter themselves, which you learn about through the game as well. Martin also told me in our conversation that he drew inspiration from American cartoons like Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes and Disney. It's really interesting how Martin and Ludwig came up with this idea and sort of repurposed the characters and made them kind of fit the Punch-Out sort of model as opposed to a Super Smash Brothers model. I really hope that he will be on the show so we can talk to him about this a little bit more. Here's the description about the game on Steam. Big Boy Boxing is a single-player action boss rush with highly stylized hand-drawn animations inspired by the classic Punch-Out in the indie game Cuphead. Challenge a unique cast of boxers together with your coach Hank as you slowly rise to the top as the big champion. Each opponent has their own creative way to knock you out and send you face down on the floor. Keep an eye out for their unique animations, attack patterns, and timing to ensure you are still standing when the bell rings. Features and stuff. Play through a campaign of over 15 unique boss fights. Fight the way you want with customizable perks and abilities and cosmetic skins. Collect all the trophies by completing achievements and minigames. Tons of replay value. Rematch powered up versions of the previous bosses. Experience the hilariously overdramatic comedic story featuring the one and only Coach Hank. Gain power as you progress, making use of new special abilities such as electric healing, dynamite punch, and rapid fists, many more. So yeah, that is the description. 
really exciting looking. I mean, there was a character that I, I don't want to ruin it, but there's a character that's very interesting who has a helmet and he said, check out my cool helmet. And he's sort of a skinny looking boxer character. And then you knock off his helmet and becomes these big hulking sort of character. Check it out. Really awesome game. Martin, please be on the show. I want to talk to you more about just stuff in general, actually your video game experience, and then also some inspiration stuff. I'm really kind of interested in the cartoons aspect. Connecting to that, Boxing Day is a holiday celebrated after Christmas Day. It originated as a holiday to give gifts to the poor and servants and staff who worked on Christmas. The holiday originated in Great Britain and is celebrated in mostly Commonwealth nations but also Massachusetts, which is odd. In 1996, Governor William F. Weld declared that every 26th of December be Boxing Day. So there you go. Celebrated in Massachusetts. However, it's not an employee or government holiday, but it is celebrated there. Interesting. So the next game I played was a game called The Gap. Available on Steam, October 19th. Developed by a company called Label This, which is a two-person indie studio from Slovenia. Published by Crunching Koalas from Warsaw, Poland. I spoke to Barstas Unek. I'm sorry, Barstas. Uh, You told me how to pronounce your name, and I promptly forgot it. The marketing chieftain for Crunching Koalas. He showed me the demo. He let me try it. It's sort of a realistic drama with light puzzle elements. For some reason, it kind of reminded me of H.G. Wells and the sort of time traveling trope where a person discovers that trying to travel back in time to save a loved one or whatever seems to have the same result over and over and over again. But in this game, you play as a neuroscientist named Joshua, a man with a family, a genetic disorder, and an obsession to find the cure. In the game, you move between your memories by investigating items and solving light puzzles. I think the game is supposed to be focusing on building the characters and the narrative from the starting point shared by you and Joshua at the beginning of the game because you both do not know what's going on, which kind of makes sense. With no knowledge of your past, that's where you start, right? Barstas gave me sort of a word of advice if I did decide to play through the game, which was prepare for an emotional ending. So I know that. So this is from the Steam page. The Gap tells the difficult story of one man's struggle to find a cure for his family's sickness by diving ever deeper into his own psyche and through the exploration of the memories dear to his heart. Joshua Hayes is a neuroscientist whose family is touched by a rare genetic disorder that slowly eats away at one's memories, dissolving the person's sanity and personality. The struggle and fight of the family is witnessed through the lens of memories of their highest and their lowest moments. Being part of an experimental program to cure this disease led by biotech giant Neuraxis, 
Joshua finds himself entangled in a corporate intrigue. While exploring the raw, minimalist spaces, he comes across items that act as gateways to his past. In hopes of untangling the web of memories, he'll need to face a distressing question. Can he really trust himself? Thank you, Barstas, for showing me the gap. Here is the connection that I would recommend they change the name for. In my head, when I think of The Gap, I think of The Gap Incorporated, which is an American worldwide clothing and accessories retailer. Gap was founded in 1969 by Donald and Doris Fisher. It is headquartered in San Francisco, California. The company operates four primary divisions, which are Gap, Banana Republic, Old Navy, and Athleta. Gap Incorporated is the largest specialty retailer in the United States and is the third in total international locations. The number of Gap employees, about 95,000 people. The next thing I checked out was, I heard about this early on, before the pandemic, I think. It was a system that was called the Playdate. I decided to go by the Playdate booth and check it out because I've never actually seen one in person. The Playdate is a handheld game console developed by Panic in collaboration with Teenage Engineering, a Swedish consumer electronics company. The console was announced in May of 2019 and was released in April 2022. The console, if you can call it that, It's a yellow 3-inch by 3-inch by 0.35-inch cuboid. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. It looks like a little flat tablet, and it's very, very small. A cuboid, by the way, is a hexahedron or a six-faced solid for future reference. And one of the main features of the Playdate is a mechanical crank. The screen is a black and white sharp memory liquid crystal display, one bit screen, a four way directional pad is on the the unit, and there are two buttons, and of course the mechanical crank, which can be tucked away. Playdate is compatible with any standard 2.4 gigahertz 802.11 B G and N network. So it is Wi-Fi compatible. The Wi-Fi option is found in settings, which is how the games are delivered to the system. It has a 168 megahertz Cortex M7 processor, 16 megabytes of RAM, and 4 gigabytes of flash storage. Definitely gives me sort of a original Game Boy vibe. One other thing that I noticed is it sort of requires a well-lit area in order to play because of the style of display so you need some light from the top of the unit which is interesting i don't know if they have plans on doing some sort of a light or a lighted display but i mean i guess it's for the price to keep the price tag down they need to limit its features i played a couple of games one game a shooter game called gun trails very sharp looking artwork sort of a shoot 'em up game which I found out later from a gentleman who briefly talked to me about the Playdate SDK, the software development kit. Uh, You can import hand-drawn images. 
Not really sure if I'm sold on the unit. It's $199 and games cost up to $15 per game. And they're much smaller experiences. Very unique experience, very intuitive looking SDK, which I may mess around with. But it seems kind of like one of these hipster wannabe things. And I would feel that way if I bought it. (laughs) Where it's like, ooh, look what I have. I'm part of the in crowd. I enjoyed my time playing that too. And it was kind of interesting. It's like I said, still not 100% sold on it, but it was interesting. So before the show ended, I visited a friend of mine in the media room. And as I was leaving the media room, I saw a cosplay cuphead person coming up the elevator (laughs) as I left the building. It was raining a little bit that day, so I wanted to go get some comfort food on this overcast sort of drizzly day. So I went back to the dozo and I went to on day one and had some more delicious dumplings and buns and pot stickers and noodles and so on and so forth. But anyway, I ate there and as I was heading back to my hotel, it was Sunday, so all of the coffee shops were closing early My uncle, you know, people criticize him for drinking coffee at all hours of the day. What he always responds with is, he says, it aids in digestion. So, I'm going to respond the same way. I felt like I needed some digestive aid after eating all the delicious comfort food. So, I was looking in the Starbucks app for one of the places that was open I didn't really put two and two together, but I was, you know, walking towards the place. And as it turns out, it was right by historic Pike Place Market. So that was the first time I'd ever been there. On my way there, I saw some interesting, I walked past sort of a burlesque sort of club. There was a strip club and then also an adult toy store. The strip club was called Showgirls. And I was told that there was like a street that is, I think it's First Street is it. And then you get to the main drive of where Pike Place is. I was kind of contemplating the whole situation with the strip club right there by Pike Place Market. Just going, well, that's kind of an interesting thing. I never heard about that. Only heard about throwing fish. So I continued to walk towards the Starbucks and I saw a roped off line, which I thought might've been, you know, a club or something. And I realized after I looked at my app that it was actually the first Starbucks or allegedly the first Starbucks at Pike Place Market. The only reason I went there was just because it was the Starbucks that was open the latest. So I, you know, stood in line and I was able to get in and get my cup of coffee and go. But One of the things I was curious about, I knew that Starbucks started in 1971, but I didn't know what day it was. And the gentleman who helped me out with my coffee said that it wasn't a joke. It originally opened on April 1st of 1971, which means that Starbucks is one month and 24 days older than myself. Well, that's it. Then the following day, I jumped on a plane and headed back to Tucson, and the rest is history. So that is the end of my experiences at PAX. Once again, thank you to all the people at Read Pop and all my friends uh, and all the new people that I met. 
at the expo this year, PAX West. Definitely going to try it again next year. And in that vein, sort of a post-mortem. So I guess post-mortem is what we used to call it in the business world when we had a meeting about what are we going to do different next time. I guess people laugh when I say post-mortem, but that's the way I've always known it. So it's more of like an assessment of what I'm going to do differently next time. Now, knowing this is my first time going as media, if I go again next year as media or go to another Penny Arcade Expo as media, some things I need to keep in mind or want to keep in mind. One of the things is it seems like the floor where all the exhibits are is very loud. So I don't think I need to take my equipment for interviews on the show floor. I think if I go again next year, I may either store those things in the media room or just leave them behind in my hotel. And if I have the time to invite someone over to have an interview in person or go to the media room and have an interview, I'll do it then. But trying to do it on the floor would just be too difficult. In fact, Martin and I kind of had to step away from the exhibit when I was talking to him about big boy boxing. So we just kind of went over in a corner and talked about all this interesting stuff. The other thing is definitely not enough time. I packed my schedule full of appointments and didn't have enough time to see all the things that I wanted to see stand in the lines that I wanted to stand in. There's another day. So it's a four-day event. I only bought the three days and was going to come back on the fourth day, which is what I did. But I think next year I'm going to stay all four days and lighten the load of each day as far as scheduling different things so I can put more focus on seeing things that I'm kind of curious about. There was a Tekken presentation that I wanted to stand in line before. There were a couple of other games that kind of piqued my interest, but I just didn't have the time to wait for them. So next year, definitely going to stay the four days instead of the three. As far as the timing, well, as far as the planning too, I'm probably going to do more planning next year. One of the things that this year took a a lot of preparation and I probably should have done this. I could have done this a lot of a lot of this stuff ahead of time is prepare the descriptions of the game. I copied them over to like a script that would be easier to do ahead of time. So I could do that for all the games I'm going to go see. And then I won't have to do all of this work after the fact. So I think I'm going to probably prepare a little bit more for the episode, quote unquote, script, which I can do beforehand, you know, outline my thoughts and what I saw, but I can't do that until after. That's the thing. I'll put it, make a larger template, prepare a little bit more so I can get the episodes out a little quicker than one every week. That is my experience at PAX. Definitely recommend. So on that note, I hope you enjoyed my travel log. Three days of fun. Thank you very much for joining me on this week's episode of the Too Vague Podcast. My name is Ben, and I've been your host. Have a wonderful night. Bye.